everyone. Thank you so much for joining us again for our fourth episode on the third practice of Lent called almsgiving, or better known as charity. This, of course, is Megan Barber, and I am joined today with my co-host, Philip Gallion, as well as special guest, David Whiteside. David will be sharing with us about Tennessee Riverkeeper, which is our mission focus for our current sermon series on SHARE. So David, welcome, and would you please share with us a little bit about yourself and about Tennessee Riverkeeper? Yes, thank you, Megan and Philip. It's an honor to be on your podcast. Thank you for having me. My name is David Whiteside. I'm the founder and executive director of Tennessee Riverkeeper. It's a nonprofit that was started in 2009 to protect the Tennessee River and the Cumberland River and the tributaries from pollution. We do that by enforcing environmental laws and educating the public and organizing community around our shared water supply. Everyone needs clean water. It doesn't matter how you vote or what religion you're in or what color of skin you have, whether you're rich or poor, black or white, Democrat or Republican, Christian or Buddhist, everyone needs clean water. And we advocate for that right to clean water. Um, there are 6.3 million Southerners that depend on the Tennessee River and the Cumberland River watersheds for their drinking water, and we stand up for their right to clean water. I got involved in this movement. My maternal ancestors have had a long history of fighting for civil rights in the Deep South. Uh, we can trace our civil rights activism going back to Winston County, Alabama, and the Civil War, where we got my ancestors, my maternal ancestors gathered together in Winston County, and they didn't want to fight a rich man's war for slavery in the Civil War, and they were not slave owners, and they decided they wanted to secede from the Confederacy, and they declared the free state of Winston. It's a very famous story, and after that, a couple of my great, great, great-grandfathers were elected sheriff. Uh, one of them in particular was uh, F.M. Treadway. Um, I, I believe he was my great-great-great-grandfather. He was elected sheriff of Fayette County, Alabama, and he fought the Ku Klux Klan there his entire life in the late 1800s, or his entire career. Um, and then going into the 1960s, my great-uncle is Judge Frank Johnson, Jr., who played a pivotal role in desegregating the South. He fought Governor George Wallace, who in one of history's great ironies, uh, Governor Wallace and my great uncle were roommates their freshman year at the University of Alabama. And then they, after that year, they split paths. And my great uncle was a federal judge who had a lifetime appointment who heard the Rosa Parks case and the Selma March and was one of Dr. Martin Luther King's great allies in the movement to desegregate the South and defeat Jim Crow and Bull Connor and George Wallace. My great uncle and my family were considered the most hated white people in the South for three decades. And I inherited a strong dose of this need to serve, this passion for speaking truth to power and trying to help as many as my fellow neighbors and citizens as possible. And I do not think it's a coincidence that uh, my family has evolved our civil rights work into environmental work, particularly fighting for clean water and everyone's access to clean water. Last thing I'll say, and I'll close, is unfortunately, most of the pollution that we are finding is disproportionately 
discharged and passed on to communities with poor people and minorities in them. Uh, you don't see a lot of factories being built in Mountain Brook, Alabama, or Bellmead, Tennessee, or Beverly Hills, or Greenwich, Connecticut. So, David, your first your first job was uh, being a being a part of Warrior Riverkeeper, and uh, you've beautifully outlined your your family's history of activism, and I think that's incredible. But what about the specific job at Warrior Riverkeeper? Is your first job like how how did you come about that? How like why did that pique your interest? Well, I started Black Warrior Riverkeeper, which is another nonprofit based in Birmingham in 2001. Okay. It was my senior thesis at the University of Vermont. And as I just explained, um, my family has a long history of civil rights movement, and it often took place in the Black Warrior watershed or the Tennessee River watershed. So both of those river valleys are very near and dear to my heart. The Black Warrior really did not have an environmental group protecting it. The other river in Birmingham is the Cahaba River, and that flows through the suburbs, and there was a strong group protecting that. But there was no advocacy group standing up for the Black Warrior River, and that historically is a very industrialized river, and it has a lot of impoverished communities along the river and the creeks that uh, have been polluted by powerful industries for far too long. But I went to the University of Vermont all the way from Alabama because I knew that I wanted to um, follow in my my family's legacy of civil rights movement and, and environmental work. Uh, my godfather is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and he founded the Waterkeeper Alliance, which is the umbrella organization for over 300 river keepers in the world. Uh, and I went to the University of Vermont because it's one of the top environmental schools in the country, and I knew that I could get the academic education that I needed and the independent study support that, that I desired to just hit the ground running with my career and start these organizations. And it was the right choice. Vermont really gave me the, the freedom and the environmental education that I needed to, to do this work. I was very, I'm very grateful to be able to attend school there and for the support that they continue to provide. I really just love that that strong sense of heritage within your work and how your family has really motivated you to kind of continue in their legacy. And I want to touch base on that connection between the civil rights movement and the need to protect in our environment, how you pointed out that a lot of minorities in lower income areas suffer so much from environmental damage to our rivers, what exactly then does Tennessee Riverkeeper do outside of just the education room? Sure. Well, we have Tennessee Riverkeeper has multiple programs that we run annually to achieve our mission. Uh, the first one, as which you just mentioned, is self-explanatory, the education program. We educate millions of Southerners where their water comes from. That is the most important lesson we can teach people. We also educate them about the geography of the river, the pollution threats, the, uh, the, the towns and the watershed itself. Uh, but the most important thing we tell people is your water comes from this watershed. And if it's polluted, then your water is likely going to be polluted or it's going to cost you more taxpayer dollars to treat that water to make it safe to drink. 
The, the next program is our cleanups and microplastics program. That's a very visible program, especially in North Alabama. That deals with the litter cleanups, which we focus along the creeks and the river banks. Uh, we try to pull out as much plastic litter and other litter as possible at these cleanups. Uh, one cleanup often removes over a thousand pounds of litter, and the organization has removed 35,000 pounds of litter since we started this program. And the final one is the Riverkeeper and the Legal Program. And that is what I call the bread and butter, the heart and soul of the organization. That is where we have a staff Riverkeeper. That is a title. That's my title as well as Executive Director, where I am constantly looking at pollution permits and who's dumping into the river and the creeks and seeing who is complying with environmental laws and who's breaking them. And when we find someone breaking environmental laws like the Clean Water Act or the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act uh, or the Safe Drinking Water Act, then we will often take them to court and sue them and force them to fix their problem and remediate the pollution damages that they've caused. Uh, our most prominent case right now, the biggest lawsuit in the organization's history, is also one of the biggest environmental lawsuits in the country right now. Tennessee Riverkeeper is suing 3M and Decatur and other polluters for discharging PFAS chemicals into the Tennessee River. 3M is manufacturing these chemicals. Most of them are not soluble in water. It's a family of chemicals that has no stick properties. Things don't stick to them. Uh, they can repel water. They're fire retardant chemicals. So a lot of times they make products that like your, your the most famous one or infamous one, I should say, is your frying pan. Old frying pans used to be coated with this stuff called Teflon and it would make it to where your eggs wouldn't stick and other food would not stick to your frying pan. Well, it turns out that those chemicals are extremely toxic and they are in 99% of human blood across the planet. They, it is very difficult to purge them out of our bodies. Um, most of the people that have them in their bodies, they are going to be in their bodies the rest of their lives. Uh, these chemicals are in the fish in North Alabama and the Wheeler Reservoir. According to the Alabama Department of Public Health, many of the fish in the Wheeler Reservoir in North Alabama around Decatur and Huntsville, Alabama are not safe for human consumption because of these wow. chemicals. Well, essentially, we have a Fortune 100 company in 3M. Sometimes they're number 101, so they, they barely make the cut. But we have a very, very powerful multinational corporation that has built a factory, a chemical factory, in Decatur, Alabama, and they have been externalizing their dangerous chemical pollution onto the, the people of North Alabama, and they keep the profits. Um, so they're externalizing their waste and internalizing their profits, and that is a, a tragedy of epic proportions. We, they, one company, pretty much, has made it to where we can't eat the fish in North Alabama, and the people downstream from Decatur have been drinking polluted water for decades in Moulton and Town Creek and East Lawrence County, some of the poorest people in Alabama. And this is what I'm talking about when the pollution negatively impacts poor people and minority communities. David, I think you've kind of spoken to this a little bit already, but I want to ask, 
what kind of connection do you see between faith, spirituality, and keeping our rivers clean? And if you see a connection, what do you think that is? I um, am, am a very religious person. I don't like to talk about it publicly a lot. I, I like to find things that uh, I like to see common ground. And I think there's a lot of division based on on religion right now. I think it's, I, in my opinion, I take it very seriously, but I keep it very internally. But with you guys, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. From the very first sentence of the very first book of the very first page of the Bible, the connection between God and nature appears. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. So creationism and God as the creator is a bedrock of the, of the Bible. And I don't believe that we should be worshiping nature in the pagan sense at all. I'm a very traditional Christian, um, but I believe that God communicates to us through many vectors. And one of the most powerful methods that he communicates to people is through nature and animals and plants. And I believe that one way that we can understand God and the creator better is by spending time in the wilderness. As part of being part of creation, too, like we sometimes we forget we're also human beings are a part of creation as well, that we are called to take care and to really be good stewards of what God's given us. And that includes animals, trees, our rivers, and of other human beings, too. And so I really do find a really call to action there as you have pointed out in, in Genesis 1, when we look back at just the, the very beginning of things. And also, you know, I, I, there's, there's so many great lessons in the Bible, obviously, but there's so many that apply to environmentalism and what river keepers do. Another absolutely pivotal one is Mark twelve thirty one: Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And when, you know, when we advocate for cleaner water, when we sue 3M for their PFAS pollution, we are showing our love for 100,000 plus citizens that are our neighbors downstream from Decatur. When the Bible says neighbor, I don't believe we should interpret it literally as the, the two people that live immediately next door to you. I look at this right. as, you know, I look at the Tennessee River and the Cumberland River and I, every single town upstream and every single town downstream are my neighbors and Decatur centrally located. So we, you know, it's, it's right in the middle of things is we have a lot of neighbors. So you've talked about practical ways that we can help out uh, being a part of river cleanups. And is there a group um, indicator that, that, that works with Tennessee Riverkeeper on the activism side? Um, like, is there a way that if somebody wants to be involved with the activism side, besides the cleaning up piece, like helping out with legislation or whatever the case may be, is there a, is there an avenue for that? Well, everything is internal under Tennessee Riverkeeper. We have a cleanup director, uh, Pat Underwood, who helps organize cleanups. I run the legal program. Um, we have a bunch of attorneys that are involved in the legal program. Our chief prosecuting attorney is Mark Martin, who spends a lot of time in Decatur as well. It's a little bit tougher to get people involved in the lawsuits and, and, and the legislation than to get them to come out to the cleanup or to spread the word on social media. But um, we encourage 
volunteers of all kinds and all skill sets to um, visit our website and and get involved in the organization. Please contact us via social media or our email address on the website. Uh, let us know how you'd like to get involved. Um, I, I believe if you go to TennesseeRiverkeeper.org slash volunteer, it'll pull up a list of, of programs. Uh, if that's not the direct URL, just type Tennessee Riverkeeper Volunteer Opportunities and it'll come up. And there's a page on our website that, that talks about different ways that people can get involved. And I think we need volunteers. We need people to join. The more members and the more volunteers we have, the louder our voice is in protecting your water. And David, for those of us who are trying to remain safe during COVID and try not to get too much contact, but even for us in just daily life, what are just some practical things that we can do to be good stewards of our waterways? Well, I think the most important thing that people can do is to within reason, reduce their single-use plastic usage. Uh, we know that very, even if you're following all of the recycling laws and, and you're rinsing out your containers, that very little of our plastic is actually being recycled. Um, in the last 15 years, the, pl the plastic industry has been making more single-use plastics than almost all of the years before then. Uh, the plastic industry is really ramping up a single-use plastics and as consumers, uh, it's our fault too, we are using a lot more single-use disposable plastics than usual. Um, we know that these plastics are breaking down and getting into the water. The fish are eating them, the birds are eating them, and humans are ingesting them as well. So this plastic is not just an eyesore, it is, it is one of the biggest pollution threats to the Tennessee River. The Tennessee River is the poster child right now for freshwater microplastics because National Geographic did a cover story on this issue and they focused on the Tennessee River. Uh, and that was in December 2018. And when that article ran in National Geographic, it, it forced Tennessee Riverkeeper to take this issue on head on. Uh, we started doing a lot more cleanups and, um, and we started to have to talk about plastics and microplastics more. Uh, one of the simple things you can do is get a reusable water bottle. Try to avoid bo the bottled water, the plastic bottled water. It's complicated in North Alabama because the, the people in Moulton and Town Creek and East Lawrence and West Morgan County that are downstream from 3M and Decatur, they were forced to live off bottled water for years because their water was not safe mm -hmm. to drink. But um, the people in Decatur put their drinking water filtration plant upstream from all these chemical factories. Their water is, is safe to drink. The tap water has more regulations protecting it than the bottled water. Uh, the bottled water we've seen also contains alarming levels of microplastics in the bottled water, most brands. So you're drinking plastics when you're drinking bottled water from a disposable single-use bottle. That stuff is not good. It's a, it is one of the great marketing myths in the history of selling products to convince people in our country that buying water is a, is a good idea and it's going to give you better water. Our, our public water supply has been safe in this country for decades, and for the most part, except for places, anomalies like Flint, Michigan. In most of these cities, our drinking water is safe to drink. It's better than the bottled water. And if you're refilling your water bottle, then you're avoiding a lot of plastics going back into the environment, most of which are not being recycled. I think it's the number one thing they can do. Um, 
you know, briefly I'll end with this. The, the other most important thing they can do is to pay attention. Follow, follow us on social media. Check out the website. Stay informed. Stay vigilant. Know where your water comes from. Know what's polluting it. And know what politicians are elected by you in your district. Yeah, I think you touched on a very key part of that, David, is awareness. And I just think about that being just a, a thing that we need to have throughout our entire lives and that intentionality for whatever we do. And, you know, and, I, and what better way to talk about awareness and taking care of the creation and our rivers than during Lent as we are becoming more aware of our brokenness and, and how we contribute to the brokenness of creation. As we go forward, church, I just want us to really think about how can we get involved and how can we become more aware and how can we help take care of the river that really benefits us all and how do we take care of neighbor. So David, thank you so much again for joining us. We really appreciate having you share your passion um, and and the work that uh, you do with uh, Tennessee Riverkeeper. Thank you for allowing us to partner with you. Thank you all so much for your support. Um, I want to leave with one closing thought, if that's okay. Our country is so divided right now that I think we really ought to be looking for issues that can unite us and that are lowest common denominator issues. You know, we ought to boil things down to what let's let's figure out what things affect everyone. And and if if there are problems there, let's fix them because they ultimately will help everyone. And I really believe that issues related to our water and our air, which are vital ingredients for life, not just human life, but the critters and the plants, all life needs needs clean air or CO2 or clean water. And when we advocate and fight protect those resources, we are protecting things that affect everyone. And we can build a bridge in this divided country over these troubled waters. I think unity is something we definitely need right now. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Do you have any closing thoughts, Philip? No, I've just really enjoyed this conversation and been able to, like you were talking about earlier, David, to speak truth to power and to be able to to shed light and to remind us all that we are stewards of God's creation and that we we all need to do better when it comes to protecting not only our families, but also the vulnerable that don't have direct access to clean water. And so thank you so much for, for being with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you all so much. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and and listening to our episode and have a blessed week. And you've been listening to Seasons at Stone River from the church at Stone River um, in Decatur, Alabama. 